This is an APS CIO note. May 2021. It's geopolitics, comrade. By Wong Ka Kui. In APS's assessment, investors seemed to have largely dismissed the significance and the profound implications of the March 2021 Sino-U.S. summit in Anchorage, Alaska. Investors, businessmen, miners, and farmers were caught off guard in May by EU-China ties going down the same rocky path as strained U.S.-China, as well as chilled Australia-China relations. To the puzzled Australian miners, farmers, and fishermen whose exports to China had utterly stalled overnight, the simple answer is: it's geopolitics, comrade. Recently, the European Parliament voted overwhelmingly to freeze ratification of the EU-China Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, which was agreed in principle barely five months ago. Separately. A U.S. defense official on 21st May told Reuters that U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has so far been unable to speak with China's top general, despite multiple attempts to set up talks, echoing earlier reporting by the Financial Times on unsuccessful attempts by the Pentagon to reach out to China. To visiting Australian Foreign Minister Maurice Payne on 13th May. United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken reiterated that the U.S. will not leave Australia alone on the field, quote, in the face of economic coercion by China. Be that as it may, seeing a business opportunity, American businesses have happily rushed in to fill the void left by Australian coal, timber, and wine exporters in the Chinese market. The current state of play in these bilateral relationships are just the first ripples from the rocks cast to the pond at Anchorage. It is worth taking a closer look at the Anchorage pond. China stands up. The Chinese people have stood up. This powerful idea fortified the hearts and souls of the Chinese people when Mao Zedong proclaimed it at the establishment of the People's Republic of China on 1 October 1949 from Tiananmen Square. The business world did not pay any notice to those words because China's 540 million souls at that time were excruciatingly poverty-stricken and could afford nothing. Fast forward 72 years, that very sentiment was conveyed to America and her allies when China's Director of the Office of the Central Commission for Foreign Affairs, Yang Jiechi, delivered a sharp riposte to Blinken's antagonistic opening remarks at the Sino-U.S. summit in Anchorage, Alaska. Yang's rebuke that the United States is not in a position to talk down to China wrong-footed Blinken. And National Security Adviser Jake Sullivan. In essence, Yang and Foreign Minister Wang Yi emphatically said that China will no longer tolerate being pushed around and will no longer endure bullying with utmost restraint. They made it clear that she will fight back whenever another country challenges her sovereignty and harms her national interests. This is a major departure from China's past diplomatic dealings. Especially with the world's incumbent superpower, 
China's new position did surprise some investors, but has since been forgotten. Yang and Wang, in essence, meant that China and its people have stood up. Conflicting objectives. Sino-U.S. relations have been dogged by two conflicting objectives. China, on the one hand, is resolute in its desire to modernize and raise living standards, whilst the U.S. is determined to stay at the apex of global power. In the last 50 years, the U.S. has hastened the implosion of the USSR and clipped Japan's wings. When it perceived that the two nations posed strategic threats to its dominance, China is now convinced that it has been picked as America's third post-war target. Beijing sees itself as a returning power with 5,000 years of history and culture, not a rising power. China is not the former USSR, as its economy is many times larger, and it is also not Japan. As it certainly does not rely on America's nuclear umbrella, the relationship is made more challenging by the two different ledgers for the two superpowers. On the one hand, the Chinese politician's psyche is always encumbered by the nation's historical baggage of a century of humiliation, epitomized by the unequal Boxer Protocol Treaty of 1901. America's political leaders, on the other hand, are always trammeled by the next election. In the last six months of the Trump presidency, China had decided not to respond to Trump's hostile actions and words, but to wait for the new administration to come in and reset relations. Alaska summit, turning point in Sino-U.S. relations. In our assessment, the Alaska summit is a historic turning point, not only for Sino-U.S. relations and global geopolitics, but also for the world economy, trade, and financial markets. The implications for the world are likely to be profound and long-lasting. Beijing had actually hoped for a reset of relations under President Joe Biden's administration. But America's three antagonistic opening gambits ahead of the Alaska summit, the Quad leaders' virtual summit, visits to Japan, South Korea, and India, as well as the addition of more Chinese companies to the U.S. government's entity list, were harbingers of the Anchorage welcome awaiting China's top diplomats. China's hopes were quashed after Blinken lectured China on democracy, human rights, economic coercion, and cybersecurity attacks in his opening remarks and in front of the lights and cameras. In response, Yang showed his indignance and outrage by rebuking the Americans for the lack of sincerity in inviting them to Anchorage for serious talks. Yang fired back on multiple issues for 16 minutes. It was the first time Chinese diplomats had reacted so strongly to the Americans. The most important statement is probably this: quote, "The United States does not have qualifications to say that it wants to speak to China from a position of strength, because this is not the way to deal with the Chinese people." The most fitting translation might be: quote, "We Chinese people won't take this kind of bullshit." More crucially. Yang and Wang, 
must have had prior discussions with the Politburo Standing Committee on the limits of their response, given America's bodacious formation of an axis to confront and impede China's rise. The three gambits might have already provided China the premonition that the U.S. would attack China on multiple fronts, without the intention to seriously negotiate to rebuild a broken Sino-U.S. relationship. The essence of Yang's and Wang's remarks must have been endorsed by Beijing. Yang and Wang intuited that the U.S. lacked the sincerity, Yang's words, to reset Sino-U.S. relations for the sake of better geopolitical cooperation, as well as improved economic and trade relations. Following the Alaska summit, if Yang and Wang meant what they said, Foreign companies had better be prepared for the prospect of boycotts of their products by China's 1.4 billion consumers if they say or do anything that is perceived to harm its national interests or smear its reputation. Indeed, China's foreign ministry spokesperson Hua Chunying on 25th March made the same point when she said, quote, the Chinese people wouldn't allow foreigners to reap benefits in China on the one hand and smear China on the other, unquote. Chinese state television, in a commentary that very same day, asked rhetorically, quote, how can H&M eat Chinese rice and then smash China's pot, unquote. Fellow spokesperson Zhao Lijiang echoed the same sentiment days later. Quote, Certain retailers want to smear and attack China and hurt Chinese interests while making profits in the Chinese market. They should know better than to bite the hand that feeds them. Unquote. New thinking in Beijing Beijing had always hoped that it would be able to negotiate a mutually acceptable agreement with the U.S., and such an outcome could still be favorable for China even if the deal were slightly lopsided. The Chinese had tolerated Trump's, quote, punches and kicks thrown at them after the 2019 trade deal was signed, believing that such antagonistic behavior was mainly driven by his bid for re-election. This delusion was torpedoed and sent to the bottom at Anchorage, when the American Secretary of State attacked China in his barbed opening remarks, dashing any Chinese expectations of a tough but amiable summit. Beijing seems to have concluded that it is no longer possible to arrive at a mutually acceptable strategic agreement with the U.S., that never the twain shall meet. A month later, President Xi Jinping at the Boao Forum on 20th April aimed a thinly veiled critique at the U.S. and its allies of, quote, bossing others around, confirming Yang's point. China had always exercised restraint in its dealings with America's allies in the past. China had also cautiously pursued its geopolitical interests with America's enemies, fearing a strong U.S. reaction. On both fronts, changes can be detected. For instance, China signed a 25-year USD 400 billion comprehensive strategic partnership with Iran immediately after the Alaska summit. 
Wang hosted Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in Guilin in late March to reinforce their relationship, perhaps in case of the remote event of a shooting war with the U.S., as well as visiting several countries in the Middle East. Foreign ministers of four ASEAN countries were also invited to meet Wang in Fujian province. These moves suggest China is preparing for the eventuality of challenges from the U.S. and its allies on multiple fronts encircling China. Not long after the Alaska summit, China imposed tariffs of about 200% on Australian wine and a total ban on Australian hay exports to China. In retaliation, Canberra forced the Victoria state government to rescind their Belt and Road Agreement. It all started when Australia imposed a total ban on Huawei's 5G equipment about two years ago, followed by a call for an investigation into China possibly being culpable for the COVID-19 pandemic and recent allegations of genocide in Xinjiang. More trade conflicts are unavoidable for the rest of the year. But what is most worrying is continued U.S. efforts in using Xinjiang, Taiwan, and Hong Kong to provoke China. Wang had warned in Anchorage that these are China's sensitive domestic issues, and China will not tolerate foreign interference in its domestic affairs. Taiwan is a worry. If Taiwan were to declare independence in the mistaken belief that America would risk its own cities for Taipei, a Chinese invasion would be inevitable. That would be a disaster for the region, and perhaps the world, if either side miscalculates the risks of escalation. We think the risk of a military conflict in the Straits of Taiwan is now 10% quadrupling from the 2.5% estimate of our January 2019 paper, The Thucydides Bear Market. The Mood on the Ground in China For several months after the Alaska summit, the remarks of Yang and Blinken were widely circulated, sparking vigorous exchanges and comments in Chinese social media. The majority supported Yang Jiechi's and Wang Yi's strong responses to Anthony Blinken's verbal assault on China. Many Chinese citizens feel that America has been unfair in their allegations of genocide in Xinjiang, as well as criticisms of Beijing's handling of violent protests in Hong Kong. They are also outraged that the U.S. and its allies are out to impede their pursuit of a better standard of living. They are also livid that America is out to create trouble by encouraging Taiwan's leader Tsai Ing-wen to question the one-China policy established under the Nixon administration. They believe that America placed several Chinese companies, such as Huawei, Xiaomi, and TikTok, on its entity list for commercial considerations rather than national security interests. Against this backdrop, It is not difficult to predict that Chinese consumers would boycott H&M's apparel after the company banned purchases of Xinjiang cotton on allegations of forced labor, without offering any evidence. Videos were circulated in social media that the cotton farms there are actually heavily mechanized, ironically using mostly U.S. equipment. 
the U.S. had done President Xi a huge favor. Xi's team standing up to the U.S. in Anchorage and to Trump's bullying and attacks on China before that have rallied the people strongly behind Xi. The Anchorage summit and the trade deal evoked images of the Boxer Protocol and the Opium Wars. Many Chinese nationals are acutely aware of this sad part of China's history. We believe that China's new behavior can be largely attributed to a newfound confidence. Their success in suppressing the coronavirus and their ability to reboot their economy within three months of the outbreak of the epidemic has boosted their confidence that their country's modernization is now unstoppable. The thinking in Washington. China bashing has always been a vote getter. It is one issue that will always receive bipartisan support. It is also one issue the mainstream media likes to play up, for strife often makes for better ratings. There is no shortage of excellent literature and first-rate analysis on Washington's China strategy, to which we have nothing substantive to add. Suffice to say that containing China's rise seems to be the keystone of Washington's strategy to retain pole position globally in technology, economics, trade, military, and geopolitics. This strategy dates back to the Obama administration, was boosted by the Trump administration, and it now seems that the Biden administration is continuing down this road. That said, we believe that the strong Chinese response at the summit is unlikely to give the Biden team pause. Events after the summit seem to suggest that the United States has in fact upped the ante on multiple fronts. Prior to the summit, Blinken's China foreign policy stance was that the United States' relationship with China will be competitive where it should be, collaborative where it can be, adversarial where it must be. After the summit, the world may see that Sino-U.S. relations will be adversarial as a rule and competitive at best. Collaboration may break out in rare, tenuous moments. The U.S. is still the world's number one superpower and boasts the world's largest economy. It is inconceivable for America, or any incumbent superpower for that matter, to concede more ground and accept China's rise without any response. China seems to accept this position too. Possible U.S. initiatives include making high-quality post-secondary education affordable for all Americans, rebuilding workforce development infrastructure, and investing in productive public infrastructure. On top of making moonshot investments in national R&D, America may also start making targeted investments in critical sectors such as 5G. It is already taking steps like the American Foundries Act of 2020 to boost investments in semiconductor R&D and fab capacity to maintain and grow America's innovation edge, thus reducing U.S. reliance on overseas manufacturing facilities and export revenues. All these actions have already been discussed before a U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, 
Housing, and Urban Affairs Subcommittee on Economic Policy in December 2020. These are positive initiatives. World trade has more to benefit if countries use their resourcefulness and capital to innovate and develop more advanced technologies. Post Anchorage Arctic Chill to Sink Frosty Sino US Relations? After the summit in Anchorage, we fear that the quote, Arctic Sino US relations will get even frostier from here. But hopefully, it will not solidify into permafrost. The fragile world economy can ill afford it. That said, it might be a little early for both sides to consciously enter a full fledged Cold War, because both countries know there will be no winner. Both sides are likely to err on the side of prudence and caution. There are also glimmers of hope that collaboration between the two giants in areas like climate change can lead to more regular non adversarial communications and, in turn, better mutual understanding. U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, and China Special Envoy for Climate Change, Xie Jianhua, issued a joint statement after their April 2021 talks in Shanghai. Expressing their commitment to cooperation under multilateral frameworks like the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and the Paris Agreement. Hopefully, we are not being too upbeat here. The U.S. technology embargo on China will likely slow down but not stop China's rise and modernization. China has doubled down on technological advancement by spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year to develop its own ecosystem. But this will take at least five to seven years before China gets close to being self sufficient. Ebb and flow of Sino US ties will inevitably rattle markets. The Phase One trade deal, signed in January 2020, Has already markedly deviated from both the original spirit and letter of the agreement. In fact, all five key objectives set out in the preamble had already been violated. This trade deal will expire in eight months' time. Undoubtedly, many of the terms and conditions will not be met. Ostensibly, The trade deal was signed to help Trump win more votes in the presidential election. John Bolton's book, The Room Where It Happened, had said that it was Trump who had instructed his trade team to negotiate for it. We had written in 2019 that the Phase One deal addressed few substantial issues and that key issues were swept under the carpet. According to the Phase One deal, negotiations for a Phase Two deal would begin after Phase One was signed. Sixteen months into the Phase One deal, we can safely conclude that Phase One has effectively failed. Given the acrimony in Alaska, we do not think there will even be a new trade deal to replace Phase One. The U.S. is likely to launch further attacks on Chinese companies. Ban exports critical for semiconductors, supercomputing, and AI, as well as delisting even more China ADRs, and so on. In response, 
China may restrict exports such as rare earths and electronics components, while slashing imports like agricultural goods and Boeing aircraft, as well as possibly not renewing U.S. operators' Macau casino licenses, and so on. All said and done, both sides know it is in neither country's interest to excessively provoke the other, as that may well lead to a full-blown tit-for-tat trade war. In the short term, it is likely that Beijing pursues a managed and proportionate trade strategy, whilst Washington a managed and targeted trade strategy. It is inevitable that hostile trade actions taken by the U.S. and its allies against China, as well as her retaliatory responses, will rattle the stock prices of targeted companies as well as the broader markets from time to time. Wong Kok Hoi The founder and CIO, Wong Kok Hoi, has 40 years of investment experience, including CIO at CityTrust Japan, Senior PM at Citibank Hong Kong, and Senior Investment Officer of GIC. He was the recipient of the prestigious Manbushu Scholarship in Japan and graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce Honors degree from Hitosubashi University, 1981. Mr. Wong completed the Investment Appraisal and Management Program at Harvard University, 1990.